Hello and welcome to the Biz vs. Dev podcast. I'm James Robert, your host, and my co-host Mick Posen is here with me. This is episode 21. Say hi. Howdy, folks. Why do you love you? This is episode two of season three. Yeah. And uh, we have this brand new fancy audio recording setup, which we only yesterday discovered sounds way better. And I hope you appreciate it. And our new theme song, which... uh, We have a theme. We started talking in the last episode that we don't have a theme. And hey, we have a theme, which we're talking about not having a theme as the theme starts to play. Right. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And it's um, it's by Shenandoah and The Night. I want to. I I saw this as a show at Rockwood Music Hall, I think in September, October, November. One of those upcoming months, the pay visit. Just out of, hey, we like your song. We use it. <laughs> well, but then we'll be buttons. Well, that's how we found both of our previous. Like that's how we found um, happiness. The, happiness by Tandre Camp mm-hmm. and um, so fine by Shenandoah and the Night, which is our theme song this season. And if you like it, then you should go listen to the whole thing on their website, which is linked in the show notes. And go to her live show, because that's where musicians love to meet their fans. And that's where I found out about these songs, both of them. You went to a live show? Yeah, I, found, I heard both of these artists at the Brooklyn Any Music Festival, or whatever. You hipster. <laughs> My wife bought tickets. Before it was cool? Uh, no. <laughs> There's rock climbing across the street. Brooklyn Boulders? I guess. Cool. I didn't go rock climbing, I went to the music thing. James, 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 where are your priorities? <laughs> I, I, when I saw it, I thought I should come back here and go rock climbing, but clearly my priorities are all wrong because I still haven't. It's been years. It's not too late. It's still there. You can. It's true. I've gone on two, two like multi-day hikes. One in the Adirondacks, one in Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Since then, and I still haven't gone the two miles back to that rock climbing place. <laughs> You lead a tough life, I commiserate, <laughs> I hope one day you have enough time to go on a fake rock climbing adventure. Yes. And well, you can't boulders. go rock climbing when you go on a hike, because if you fall, you're screwed. Well, that's why you go bouldering, so that you don't go so high up. I mean, bouldering is supposed to be a little bit safer. Because you can't fall so far? Yeah. Although some people boulder pretty high up, which is kind of impressive. I assume bouldering is just climbing on boulders? Bouldering is climbing on any kind of equipment. Oh. On anything? Like a building? No, on, on a boulder. Oh, wait. So Why a lot did of people equipment. As in, you only you don't fix yourself to anything. You just do. Oh yeah. Okay, I see. You have certain shoes that you wear to make it make it you know, keep you more <laughs> aerodynamic. Is not the word you want to use when describing bouldering. <laughs> <laughs> anchored. Yes, anchored. Um, so you have some follow up, right? Well, it's not follow up. It's I, I want to share a, a very pleasant story I had. Uh, Earlier, so just before just before we had the session, a recording session, I, I met with a young woman from Zambia. She is a, a co-founder of a non-for-profit organization um, in Zambia, and she came here. It's it's, it's it focuses on promoting entrepreneurship among uh, as a means of economic development for young folks in in Zambia and in Africa at large. And her work with this nonprofit brought her to New York City uh, under Obama's Young African Leaders Initiative, which is designed to help young African be- Africans become g- greater change makers for both their countries and the continent at large. And she was interested in, ex- in uh, building out an incubator. 
in insomnia for which, companies yeah okay. uh, to explore entrepreneurship for, as a means for young folks to start something and then you know you have people going to some kind of school or system the system that they have there it's you go through this process and then you train out people who are, who are looking for work but there are no jobs so what if we can or there are few jobs what if we, what can they do to stimulate and it's kind of the, the same problem we're facing nearly you know, globally there's a shortage of jobs and there's a overwhelming understanding that's a little antiquated or very much antiquated about where the jobs come from what they do and how they service so i mean you don't have people people don't people aren't loyal to companies anymore and that hasn't been the case for a long time you know, i have you know, a theory about that but go on and we touched upon this recently we touched upon this at the last show where i discussed you know you need a relationship to, with a company and you stay there for a little while longer and the process to find a new job is tougher now people are more interconnected so it's easier there are few remove the barriers to entry and, and blanking, people aren't paid as well Real wages haven't gone up at the same rate, so I think people feel less loyal because they're not getting as large a slice of their contribution to the bottom line. That's valid. Uh, people, success in general is no. My senior year of high school, my for my micro IP microeconomics class, we had. I may have shared this story before. In fact, I want to take a quick segue here, uh, which take a segue from there. Segue, the way it's spelled, S E G U E. Uh -huh. You'd never think it's pronounced segue. Anyway, seg a seg what? Segu. A segu, segui. What I'm kind of afraid of, and this is a very mated level discussion, that and I was looking over this as we're looking through the show notes for episode I think 18 or 19, where we discuss we briefly discussed Herman Hess and I'm pronouncing it correctly now I think Bildungsroman, which is the genre of uh, coming of age stories. And Carl Jung, and these are th concepts that you know. These me, these are very near and dear to me, and they they are a pivotal. I mean, they're they're foundation of who I am in terms of how I developed, who I became, who I came to be, how these things helped me find myself. But we discussed it so early that I wonder if you know. I'm assuming that over time we we develop a we cultivate an organic audience. That the parts that I, I want to share with people and how, maybe in to to spread something that I. I'm very fond of to others who may not be aware of it, mm -hmm. may not be very familiar with it. I'll have missed that chance because we had a small audience back in the day. <clears throat> well, nothing stops you from referencing it or just talking about it again. It's true, but I would feel I mean, repetitive. If years go by, yeah, then go you by. can <laughs> you can always rehash something that you've spoken about a few years ago. Well, I'm thinking of it from the perspective of, say, a musician, uh -huh. where some of their first work is probably their shittiest. And I think, well, does that mean that's my shittiest work? I mean, surely they'll, res they'll revisit a theme, for instance, or a concept. But I don't want to think that this is something that I, f I hold so to be so so dear to me is, in effect, early stage uh, pitter-patter. Well, if you can predict how you're going to feel about something in the future, you may as well skip right to that feeling, don't you think? Well, I don't think I don't. I don't expect it to to feel that way in the future. Well, then you'll talk about it again. I hope so. I'm, I wonder when the context will come up again, where we can link it again. I, I wouldn't want to feel, sound repetitive. I wouldn't worry about it. Very well. That was my small concern. I mean, so, if you read a book that you haven't read in four years, you are still surprised by lots of things in it just because you've forgotten them. That's true. And I don't think. Especially if you like, people are used to hearing the same stories over mm -hmm. and over again because most stories kind of boil down to a few core 
sort of arcs, mm-hmm. like prototypical stories, mm-hmm. proto stories, let's call them. I, I wonder if that's a real word. Like Transformers? <laughs> proto story. <laughs> Transformers of Or proto stories, the stories of protozoas and their plight for. Well, anyway. Their plight. Um, all right, so let's now let's take it back up or down. Well, yeah, so that's back to, to the discussion of the reverse segue. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the the post sequitur. That's a term my friend made up of when you have many many discussions and different trains leaving the station, mental trains leaving the station and or as we call it call them tangents. You have to eventually have to go back to a discussion which is now called the post sequitur because you return to something that was briefly abandoned earlier or it was some veering off topic. So she wanted to build out an incubator mm-hmm. to help businesses to form because there's this shortage of company, shortage of jobs, and and she's here and she reached out. It was she sent out a cold email uh, to me, and I responded because I'd love to hear more about her story and share what I can with. Her. And she mentioned she's been to a couple of different incubators in the city, uh, Corrigan Space. So she didn't realize this was a, this, this was a Corrigan Space and not an incubator. So she wanted to know what the differences were. So we chatted about Corrigan Spaces, incubators, accelerators. The different programs they have within the country, how they how they work. And she was very grateful. She wasn't aware of some of some of the terminologies and the concepts. And one thing that came up, and I think we may have discussed this before, was that many places many places across the world, there's this especially company in in, in areas where cities are trying to develop themselves as a new tech hub. There's two things that go on. First. Or two things that I often I've often seen. First, there is the how can we get companies to leave our city to eventually go to New York or San Francisco mm-hmm. because that's where the bigger markets are. So they they admit that they have a limitation and rather than working on expanding themselves, they just send them out. Which I'm not sure how if that's entirely productive. And what the, what the it's balance? It's like the city version of trying to prepare kids for college. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's you know, at what point is this productive? And what point is this counterproductive? And how and how much of it is? The, and this is presumably under the auspices of those companies eventually coming back somehow and helping out. Right. I mean, Skype, for instance, was a huge, huge asset for Estonia. And it's because of Skype. Skype was built by Estonian programmers. Uh huh. And when it was sold, it was and like pe- Estonian to programmers PayPal uh, to Microsoft. Well, rather, it was purchased by somebody else, then eventually Microsoft bought it out. Microsoft bought it from PayPal. Yeah, I think. I, I'm not sure if it was PayPal. I'm blanking on who it was. Pretty sure PayPal owned it at one point. Maybe it was just eBay in general. Maybe uh, eBay. I guess it's not really that important. So Skype was important to Estonia. B- because it provided A, hometown heroes, hmm. and enough money so that there's those, there was a local investment scene. Right. And now the people who worked at, at, at Skype, their previous experience was with, with P2P software. I think one of them was also involved with Kazaa back in the day. <laughs> Remember that? I intimately, and all the spyware I got because of that. K++ was the K++. Oh, that Kazaa Lite, that was incredible. It was so much faster. Why? Because it wasn't filled with malware that was destroying your computer. You had to buy a Mac Pro to run the official version. Did it's you the really? only machine that could run it. No, I'm being facetious. But... Oh. <laughs> I was just fine with my Windows <laughs> PC. Thank you very much. Anyway, I and then that's eventually translated into that. It's surprising, and Estonia has a very vibrant computer science program. Again, presumably it also. I, I want to attribute an extensive amount of this to the Skype purchase, mm. because that's the only big story I've heard of. So I'm assuming they may, they must have some sort of invo- very uh, ingratiated invo- in, 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 in involvement there. I wonder how much the successful entrepreneurs who have had an exit 
that then become angel investors? Like how much that effect plays into the sort of development of tech hubs? Well, massive. So uh, part of these reason, part of the reasons that these companies leave um, for New York City, or these com- these countries, cities want them to leave for New York City, is that they need they need funding. They're just not going. There's just not an, a sufficiently vibrant community to to fund them. One of the so I advise a small venture capital company called INE Ventures, which is focuses focuses on and we'll link it in the show notes, I guess, uh, bringing companies from Israel to the Northeast for business development purposes because the market in Israel is slightly smaller, but they do have technologically they're savvy. Yeah, business wise, there tends to be. I heard that there's actually a sh- well, we had the shortage of programs we have here. They have yeah. a shortage of business guys there, huh? Which I think that's a bit of an extreme, but. There's there is a need for it in larger market partnerships here. So in Israel, it's programmers are seeking business guy instead of business guy seeking tech co-founder. I'm I'm not sure it's exactly like that. I'm I'm sure the person who shared that story with me kind of embellished it. But so in, with Zambia, there rather the second thing that I've noticed in these cities is that if they're not trying to send them to New York City or to Silicon Valley, they're trying to create the next Silicon Valley. And they usually do that by trying to what do they do what do they what do they do in that in that city in Silicon Valley and how can we bring that here? But they don't bring it there with their own culture. They yeah, they try and make a photocopy of the exactly. culture, which is upsetting because what you end up having is a a very inauthentic, insincere attempt to copy something rather than embracing the the, the local culture. Right. The way that McDonald's does, you know, in India, where they have lamb burgers instead of beef burgers rather than catering to the specific audience and embracing with the community the, the mentality the mental schema the social contracts the that are local there and can be and and harness those and then and then fix them or adjust them or they grow them they just try to take somebody else's work and part of the issue with that is especially places like Zambia, they people think in apps in the united states Mm-hmm. And in in the really really well versed tech hubs now, and there they're not thinking apps. They're thinking in feature phones. But the people who thought in feature phones in in our, in our country mm-hmm. was back in the early two thousands. Right and before that, I would think. Well, in terms of internet service for them, before you know, like with three, if you want to start when three G was re- really start to get big, and when phones additional functionality started. So you have beepers, you have you know sidekicks. When things really crossed into the early, early mainstream, but before iPhone came out, before there were apps. There are programs, yeah, but they weren't official accessible apps. The way but they- I think the idea, the concept of apps being the core component of the ecosystem mm-hmm. started with the Windows 95 apps. People building apps for desktops, not phones. The, the real shift for phones was when people started thinking of phones as computing devices instead of phone call making right. appliances. And which which took a little while <laughs> phone call making, to, to get to get to that stage. <laughs> but in, in, in the less developed countries, that's exactly, in less technologically developed countries, it's exactly how it is. And the guidance that they're getting from people from the outside isn't guidance that, that would that's timely for them. People, the, there's this a disconnect. And I realize this disconnect because I use the term with her, Oh, you just have to get the snowball rolling. And I realized there's no snow where she is. <laughs> so I had to explain to her. Wait, wait, wait. So I, I said, wait, wait. Are you, are you aware of what I'm saying right now? This expression I just use is very, very colloquial and very much an idiom that relates to our culture that you may not have in yours. And this is one of, my, this is one of the most fascinating things for me of what, how other cultures work, think, breathe, 
be how, how right. they are. When you're speaking to someone from a very different culture, metaphors are usually not the way to go. That is very true. So then I, I had to ex- r- rudimentally explain what I mean by that. And so she, she got it very quickly. She, she's a tr- tr- terrifically bright woman. You would expect that from someone, you know, in her position. Yeah. Um, and it was, uh, she, had, she had a tremendous amount of poise and grace to her, but she was also very, she was approachable. She was pleasant. She just twinkly eyes, but 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 still gentle. Clear that she was she was on a mission to change things on a massive scale, which is a breath of fresh air. And so after that, after we made that quick discussion of whoa, okay, so here are different cultures. Clearly, there's a need to have different cultures. And she mentioned that she didn't hear that opinion from anybody else. That everybody was kind of saying, well, this is what Silicon Valley does. This is what you should be doing. It's more like this. I think let's think about apps. And she seemed relieved to hear that because she finally found something that she could, uh, I think that she could relate to, mm-hmm. where it's there is something that there, and maybe it's what people want to hear. Because they want they want to feel validated. They want to feel as if what they have is worth something. They don't have to just completely shoo everything and follow what somebody else said. And it's not it never works out well. Okay. Never say always or never. Right. But it rarely works out because inherently. It usually speaking, doesn't work well to try and do something that someone try to be someone else. Because when you're trying to be something else, there's already one of those in the world and you can't be better at at being it than it is. Yeah. Right? Like, you can't be a better America than America. You can't be a better New York than New York. Yeah. You might be better than New York, but not by trying to be New York. I'm going to be you so hard that I'm a more you than you are. Well, on the subject of, of being, and I want to eventually go back to, briefly, to, to, to finish up the Zambia thing, I had a discussion with my new roommate yesterday. I hope you get him on the show one time. He's a brilliant product manager. I just... Again, another slew of pleasant conversations. Part of the reason why I'm so tired because I should have gone to bed earlier, but we stayed up late chatting. Awesome. Totally worth it, I think. I hope, maybe, possibly. Mick looks hungover, listeners. I'm hungover. You, you never, <laughs> no one knows I look like hungover because I've, I've had been hungover 1.2 times. One time it was like for maybe 10, 20 minutes. And I went to back to bed. And I was trying away. to slip that in, but clearly fizzled out. Yes, it did. And rightfully so. I'm not a fan <laughs> of that nonsense. <laughs> He mentioned in terms of how <laughs> when people wear glasses and sunglasses, it automatically induces a very prominent, especially now with our thicker frames, a very prominent uh, symmetry. Mm. So we automa- and, and we automatically look more attractive because of it, because objectively speaking, we f- evolutionally speaking, we find symmetry to be very, very attractive. So if we wear something that automatically covers up the section of us that tends to be most somehow mildly most but even on a which is still very very minute asymmetric asymmetric, then by by adding that symmetry you raise your attractiveness so if you look at something quickly for a moment i've always thought that people wearing sunglasses looked kind of douchey shady no douchey douchey is the word douchey even in the sun Little, because they're very large. I mean, do you mean this? These are like the half the the sunglasses that cover half the face, or the or aviators. It kind of doesn't matter. I mean, Oakleys, aviators, whatever. When someone puts on sunglasses, I'm like, oh, you're the guy that brought sunglasses, or girl. I mean, girl sunglasses aren't any better. Mm-hmm. I don't know if douchey is quite the word, but that's just a little uh, subtle sexism built into the words that we choose to describe people. So. <laughs> 
We discussed possibly going to the beach in two weeks. Uh huh. Would you bring your sunglasses to the beach? I no. I only own one pair of sunglasses, and I only own them because I was going on like a boat all day, and I needed to be able to see. I like <laughs> haven't worn them in probably a year. Also, I wear prescription glasses. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to wear sunglasses, I either need to buy prescription sunglasses or I need to wear contacts. Neither of which I especially like. Partly because I don't really like sunglasses, so <laughs> I'm not going to go spend a bunch of money on sunglasses, which I'm not going to like, that are prescription. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I don't know. Maybe I'll get over it someday. Hope you do, because I like wearing sunglasses to protect my eyes from the sun. Yes, I do appreciate their function, but I never see anyone wearing them and think, wow, that person looks good. Well, it's, so there the issue is you do... But when people, but people, there the issue is that you you dislike sunglasses in general and what they signify. But glasses, people tend to look more intelligent than glasses. Hmm. People tend to be tend to look more. I mean, we again, there's a cultural association with what glasses are. Typically, you know, it's the guy who or the girl who read read book by candlelight or under a blanket, therefore the vision got worse, or maybe played Pokemon on a Game Boy in fourth grade. I don't know who that was and who ruined their vision. That was me. Except too. for I didn't even play it on a Game Boy. Didn't have a Game Boy. I played it on an emulator. emulator. <laughs> and then yeah. I was really bummed when my mom gave me Pokemon for Game Boy because I was like, now I have to level up all my Pokemons again. <laughs> Although I never would have pluralized Pokemon yes. like that as a child. <laughs> I'm just about to ask. <laughs> James, are you aware that this is not the proper uh, pluralization of Pokemon? Everybody knows. All right, so I think it's time to move on from follow-up. Yes, it is. Um, I have two topics. I'm just going to lay them out at the beginning of the show so listeners can look forward to it and so that we can make sure to do them both. I want to <laughs> talk about keep, keep um, yourselves intact. the Swift app that I'm building, which is on GitHub, and I'll link that in the show notes. I guess I'll link it after the first topic we're going to talk about, which is writing well. So let's talk about writing well. So a few shows ago, I brought up conciseness and simplicity of the English that you use to communicate and sort of held those up as like characteristics that every writer should strive toward, simplicity and conciseness. And I don't think you fully agree with that. (laughs) Actually, I remember I specifically described something as stuffy and you said, what's wrong with that? (laughs) Oh, I think you were describing uh, dark. Yeah. a translation of Marx. Yes. I don't know that the original Marx was stuffy, but the German to English translation sure was. Right. I said something to the effect of I can cross out one and three words without changing the meaning. I said there's still some integrity. So if, if you look at it from a, if you get language as a design thing, okay. perspective, there is, if you view simplistic writing, I think the best part I didn't say of, simplistic. Well, cons- if you aim for brevity, and conciseness, succinctness, and whatever all those words kind of mean together, but whatever they, whatever overlap they have, but what you end up in effect is minimalism. You have hyper-optimized words and minimalism, but there's no which is effective. Minimalism, minimalism has a purpose. Well, I don't think that it's like you're reading off my notes. You're addressing my points in order, but <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because we started chatting about this earlier. But. Um, I don't think that minimalism and conciseness are necessarily linked. Like, simple, like, concise, clear writing doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily mean writing that is not colorful. 
or well you can have minimalism doesn't mean absence of everything it means you have i guess the bare bare essence of what you need but not the bare essence not but nothing below beneath that well so you're you don't crossing you don't, out words that if you can cross out a word and it doesn't change the meaning if the word truly doesn't add any meaning at all, you may as well just substitute um instead of the word, and the sentence would be the same sentence. But if can, the word does add meaning, but can I you give me think... an example of when when a word does not add any meaning whatsoever? If it's a, if it somehow qualifies the word, if it was, it's supposed to give an image, and I want to preface. Okay, this so with... to borrow something from Orwell, the not on dash and then word. So like, um, not unlike. You could just say like. And that's a very common thing that people say all the time. Like, <laughs> like now, <laughs> but oh. like is a word that you can always cross out, and um is a word you could always cross out. But we don't even bother to write those because everyone agrees that they don't belong in real English. We just fill them in when we're speaking. Well, like, so um and like are that's one element. Now there's the l- not unlike like usage of the word like that was actually oddly enough. Inadvertently invented by, I believe it was a, a tobacco ad. And we'll link in the show notes if I can find. I think members of BuzzFeed thing. I'm embarrassed to admit to. <laughs> I think it's one of those things that nobody admits to reading, other than when they post a Facebook quiz. But which you don't get to see because you're lucky. That's just one of the benefits of not going on Facebook. <laughs> listen up, listeners. Listen, listen close, listeners. There Aside is. from you know not being experimented on, not having your mind controlled. Mind controlled. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag. <laughs> Hashtag mind control. If you look at language as a desperate way to figure out how to communicate a certain symbol of something that we have in our heads when i say the color blue for instance you get one image in your head but if i use a russian I, there are two russian words for the color blue mm-hmm. and because of that i think we've discussed it before and in japanese there's only one word for blue and green no kidding or maybe it's chinese pretty sure it's japanese i wonder if it's because of the water i want to say it's probably it's probably japanese because they're well they just the colors they happen to name mm-hmm. the color they put a pin on is kind of like a a seafoam green, like mm-hmm. kind of in between blue mm-hmm. and green, and that just happens to be the part of the spectrum they labeled. So having these, having language label certain concepts, uh, and concepts, everything's a concept. You know, color is technically con- is, te- is a concept. Mm-hmm. It either limits or ex- inherently limits because there's only so many we can have. Mm-hmm. But with Russian, there's this thing with there's different. There's two different shades of blue. There's light blue and there's dark blue. Okay, uh, Gulaboya is light blue and senior is dark blue okay but when you ask an american or someone who only speaks english doesn't speak russian which color is this facebook blue and twitter blue no <laughs> actually huh interesting yes yes you're right Facebook. that's terrible te- wow. you like how easily that came right to my mind <laughs> i think you, you needed technology detox james what yes spend too much time on i facebook intend to stay drunk on technology until i die Oh, no, 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 no. Except, no. of course, for my week-long hikes in the UP. Right, except those weekend hikes, which you're going to try. No, week-long, not weekend. Week-long, oh, week-long, okay. In the UP? Upper Peninsula. Oh, okay. sorry. That's Michigan, which is the state that has Detroit in it, <laughs> in case you don't know where it is. It's shaped like a mitten. I don't remember where, where, where I read this. It was about, no, where are there more... Uh, Oh, 
this was in Thinking Fast and Slow. How many deaths, gun-related deaths, do you think there are in Michigan? Eh, some people give a number. Not realizing that Detroit's in Michigan. But most cars aren't made there anymore, so. Gun-related deaths. Oh, gun-related. Yeah. I thought you said, which Michigan, like, what deaths were just related to Michigan, period. And I thought you were going to go for, like, auto- automobile deaths. <laughs> All right, so never mind. Maybe, may as well just cut that out. <laughs> Of course, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So go back to the color. So there's this, the, the more definitions you have for something that, that are, that's separate, mm-hmm. the more you can separate something, the more you can, you, you can, you can explain what, what these little things are. Right. But if I say the color blue and you have, and the notion of blue that you have in your head, I mean, before this, before we go into philosophy of what if what I think is blue is actually what you, if I were to be in your head, you, if I were in your head, and I said the color blue, you would actually reference what I think is the color green. That's one philosophical argument that we don't need to discuss here. Okay. But at least the notion of how close can we approach can we approach to the the same definition, same concept of the color blue. Uh-huh. And that's where picking your words carefully comes in. But when you pick your words carefully, even picking your words, can a word also presents it's the same thing as a color. It still presents a certain concept, a certain understanding of what this is. But we all have reference points. But even those reference points are still, I mean, there's, there's nothing objective. Sure there is. I mean, you can say blue or green or whatever, but if I use an actual physical thing that we all know like. and, use, and pin the color to that, let's say, like grass. Instead of just saying green, say grass, that reduces a lot of the variance. And of course, the thing you're trying to describe should be at least somewhat grassy or else you're not really, you can't use the metaphor to call up the image to mind. But what if somebody comes from a more desert environment? And they don't know what grass is? Or the color, they have slightly different grass that we have, for instance, in Yosemite. Mm-hmm. Dark, lush green. Uh, can't wait for Yosemite. When are you going to Yosemite? Uh, talking about Mac OS Yosemite. I'm done here. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is the difference between James and I. I'm excited for Yosemite National Park. And James is excited for an operating system. You need a technology diet, James. You need to be in nature, hiking the Upper Peninsula and hiking in Yosemite and Yellowstone, preferably not on the melting road. I've been to Yellowstone. On a virtual tour? No, I've actually been there. Okay. And the Grand Canyon. I have to go there. All those places. All of them? All the places. I want to go to South America. I want to spend a year in South America. I want to travel through all of South... Well, I want to start at the North Pole slash Alaska, work my way down to Antarctica by going along the West Coast... I think it'd be awesome to go to Antarctica and live there for a while. I mean, some parts of Antarctica are almost tolerably livable, like the part that sticks up right toward um, South America, toward Argentina and Chile. Oh, oh, in the west, on the west side, in the southwestern hemisphere. Is it? It's Cape something. It's anyway. Cape Town. But yeah, so my my dream travels are we're clearly getting off topic here. Starting all the way, working, working all the way in the south along the west coast. United States, going through all of Mexico, going through all of Central America, going through all of South America, hopping over to, South, to Antarctica, then going over to South Africa, then hopping over to Madagascar or Sri Lanka, whatever they're calling it nowadays, back to, back to the section of South Africa, then go to Australia, New Zealand, Papua New Guinea, skip Indonesia, not very safe for me. Um, What's wrong with Indonesia for you? It's not the most friendly to Jews. And 
I don't know. My my ability to detect Jews by looking at them is like broken. I don't know. I well, you live in New York City. I'm surprised it's broken. I mean, I guess you I are, I don't know what a Jew looks like. I'll be honest. Like I can't look at someone and be like, oh, that person must be Jewish. Like unless of course they're in like Hasidic Garden. clothes or whatever you call their like what they wear. I mean, other than like certain things like the curly sideburn thing. I don't know what it's called, but Hayes. Okay. Unless unless they have some some social signaling, hey, that I'm Jewish, I generally can't tell. Just by like, I don't know, skin, face shape, hair, etc. But if a country's not very safe to Jews... Then you probably don't want to be there if you are one. That's, I totally get that. Yes. Entrants are, culturally speaking, we may find out, we might have some differences that I would rather not engage in. So, for the sake of safety. And then no, go to go to Southeast Asia, go to Asia, Greece... Back to Israel. <laughs> anyway, back Why to... Why did you say Greece so quietly? Uh, well, there's also virulent anti-Semitism there. Um, oh. and it's kind of in disrepair, given the high unemployment rate. But that just means it'll be super cheap to visit. Air flights, airfares are expensive. Because oh, on this trip, I don't want to bother going to Europe. Yeah, oh. you know, I'm totally unenthused about Europe, despite my European heritage. Mm-hmm. And I'm like... European, mud, French, English. Irish, I recommend et visiting. I would recommend visiting Berlin, because that's. I haven't been to Berlin. I've been to Germany, but not Berlin. It's terrific. And I had a friend who recently went. Who recently went, and he caused me to remember how terrific time I had there. I want to see more natural indigenous. Oh, I really want to learn more about indigenous cultures. Listeners, if any of you have any. Th- interests, books, resources, friends who have any interest in indigenous cultures and ancient uh, philosophies, like going back perhaps before the Greeks, please do give me a holler. I bet if you made like a geography, like uh, infographic of the locations of people using Facebook and just go to the black spots on the map, that'd be a pretty good way of finding indigenous cultures. (laughs) (laughs) Or deserts. Maybe you'd have to overlay a population map. Go to places with people, but no Facebook users. I mean, indigenous cultures tend to... Few of them tend to have interaction with the modern world. Where That's they what map I mean. Out. So you'd need a map of where people are, like census data. Right, but there'd be no, I mean, like, there'd be no census data either. Mm, most countries have at least some, like... Of, like, an arbitrary tribe in, 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 in the Amazon? I wouldn't be surprised. I'm, I'm inclined to believe that. I don't would. know. I mean, they wouldn't necessarily know, like, there's... I don't know, exactly 284 people in this village, but they know there's a village. Governments tend to keep track of things like that. Anyway, let's get back to writing. Back so, to writing. I have a theory about the meaningless words thing that we were just discussing. When was that? When, when, you're, <laughs> when you're reading a sentence and all those extraneous words that don't add meaning, which I, in my opinion, could be crossed out and the world would be better, each one of those words is taking up sort of like processing power, like each in your brain. Your ability to comprehend the sentence is going down the longer you're trying to fit things into your your short-term memory, trying to stitch together what exactly does this... And you're like... So to put things in um, Kahneman's terms or psychology terms in general, um, like you're putting the load on your system two thinking Mm -hmm. where the actual reading, the converting text into like sort of the inner monologue... That's kind of like a system one thing. And as the sentence gets longer, 
that cognitive load shifts into the part of your brain that's supposed to be processing the ideas, not the actual letters and words on the page. Like you're devoting your your ability, your thinking power towards just processing the syntax of the sentence instead of understanding the idea that the sentence is supposed to communicate to you. Then how come so many different words exist? I'm not saying don't use words. I'm saying... But you, how come there's? How come there are more complicated words? How come? I, I like to think that there's no true synonym for everything, for anything rather. Okay. That each word has a slight possible differentiation. That it just it's just so minute. But there are prefixes and suffixes to short words, which make them into long words, such as like eyes, um, shun. Oh. Like, or un. Like on something, <laughs> I mean, just sort of. It's almost like a compound word, except for the prefixes and suffixes aren't actually words themselves. But you just take an existing word and make it longer by adding some extra. Like there are words that sort of invent themselves easily because the prefix or the suffix is so universally known to everyone mm-hmm. that you can just add it to any word and everyone will kind of get what you mean. Like prioritize. That but- comes from. Priority, or, so what word which comes you, from prior. Which word would you use to describe prioritize? Which word do you use instead of prioritize? Is that, is that a common? I mean, it depends word? on the sentence. Prioritize is sometimes the best word. I'm just giving an example of how you make words out of other words. Exactly. Sometimes one word's the best word. So it's up to you, the up to the writer to decide which is the best word to use to properly convey the the the, the thought that the, that the person that they want to. Okay. I think now, of long words like chocolates. It's not that you can't eat chocolate, but you shouldn't have a meal that's all chocolate. The long words should be. But if the, I, I, I'm in favor of a, of not being a thesaurus douche, which, admittedly, I once upon a time was a thesaurus douche. Yes, like just going through a, a simple sentence and replacing all the words with words that no one else knows. Kind of, but at the same time, I mean, but I, what I enjoyed was I enjoyed, I didn't just replace the word. I looked up to see what the word meant, and I thought, okay, I like how this plays out. Help me learn new words, so. If you want to, you, you know, use in order to, and that asymptote of learning how to approach, how to describe more and more and more of my life and experience and or whatever thing I want to try to convey, I can do that with more words, and that's how, that's how I, I can approach that asymptote. Well, let me let me pitch you something that I think you'll find compelling. The simpler is it a deal I can't refuse? <laughs> the simpler words that you use. Like, the more simple the words are that you use, the better your writing will age. Because simpler words don't go in and out of fashion as quickly as longer, more complicated words. They're less fatty. Okay, I see what you're saying. Um, But I'd be... Not simpler words, shorter words. But I'd be loath without an E to... Maybe loath with an E, actually, in this case. To want to have context... So when we, that we be removed, that that is so. Let me start over. When you write with words that do age, mm-hmm. then you're also writing for a certain time period, and it's and you can pick up and and more of this more readily, because you have a word, a sentence structure, a, a story, that and everything you write tends to be the zeitgeist of what you work on. So it's very hard to separate something from something else and then say, well, 200 years ago, if I, if you were to write this, it would make no sense. Well, yes. Everything that you work on, everything that you think is very much a product of the times that you're in. 
True. So the more in tune you are with the zeitgeist, I think the more representative you are of of that time, and therefore you are more of a. I would argue just the opposite that you, if you write for the exact time that you're in, you are more representative of that time frame, and therefore you are more you are more sincere and in tune with what what's happening around you. And this work is a, is a better representation. Maybe that would be true, if the things. I mean, I guess it depends what you're writing about, but most things about people don't change that much from one time period to another. Like, the things about our culture that are changing, sure, we'll have new words, but for the most part, those are the nouns. The adjectives and the verbs, those don't change as quickly. I mean, the, the essence... What's an example of an adjective or a verb that would change? Okay, the idea of, I don't know, being attracted to another person. Whatever words you use to represent that, this is probably one of the things that's most written about in all of history. Wait. That isn't changing that much. Okay, so I... But the words that you're using to re- to speak about it probably are, especially if you're using the long, fatty, current words. Now, I, I want to throw a wrench up in, up in your thing that you just said here. Um, because when I see people write, use the word love back in the day, it uh-huh. seems to that they use it in a... The word that we use for a crush, an infatuation, okay. an obsession, something fleeting, not a this love of I understand who you are, you understand who I am, and there's this is um, it's very it's a, from, their use of the word love is far more superficial. Okay, so that's changed over time, and I, I don't necessarily see how the one the changing of the meaning of one word means that we should use words that no one will even know what they mean in twenty years. I don't think you should. I think it's important to use words that are very much relevant to the context because if you don't, then you have. If you try to aim for the middle, you try to aim to please everybody. You're not going to please anyone. Now, even some of Heming, what Hemingway wrote, while as simple as it is, Hemingway does not write simply. <laughs> some people say. Some people say he does. I mean, the Hemingway app is to, to get, write more like Hemingway. Yeah, but. No, I don't want to say famously because the Hemingway app isn't that famous. We'll link the Hemingway app in the show notes, by the way. But when it was first released, some people went and took excerpts of actual Hemingway writing to see what they would, what grade the app would <laughs> give them, and it scores terribly. Well, it's the because... app thinks Hemingway's writing is extremely like run on sentences, adverbs all over the place. <laughs> well, the people who created the app clearly are not in tune with what writing could be. Or what it is, or, or what it is. They, they'll, they'll. I honestly, when I read Hemingway, I feel as if I'm sitting in a bar and a drunk guy just started talking to me, and he's rambling and rambling and rambling. Didn't Hemingway write drunk? Probably. That could be why. I mean, but I mean, if you're the sort of person, and there are definitely people who will sit in a bar and listen to a drunk sailor ramble about their stories of sailing and fishing and find that fascinating, I'm not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> what if it were a quiet bar? What? What if it were a quiet bar? The only kind of bar I like, but I still don't like... I don't care about fishing, and I especially don't like listening to people ramble. So you didn't like Old Man in the Sea? It was a bit verbose. The book was like 90 pages. <laughs> and even then it was the verbose. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Just read the sentences in the book, though. It's a, it's a wordy style. I learned style. the word phosphorescence from that from that from that book is there a better way to describe the word phosphorescence there is sometimes only one term to describe something and the best the the word look, would look a little green blue no it was phosphorescent that's fine or rather phosphorescence actually when you when it creates its own when when the there's a kind of keeps its own light and the my light criteria from, for eliminating words is that they don't add meaning if the word adds meaning the green one. then leave it 
if it's the best word to describe the thing, I'm not saying you have to shorten every sentence and shorten and use a shorter word for everything. It's just just write a few sentences. And if there's words that if you remove it and the sentence hits you exactly the same way, then the word is not doing any okay. useful work. So let's go back to minimalism. You go into a household. There's a bed. There's a couch. Uh-huh. There is a dresser. There's a kitchen. There's not much else. Okay. No the words paintings. I'm describing that need to be removed are the equivalent of a scuff on the floor. I would argue that the words you describe that you want to remove are the paintings. They're the plants. Nope. I'm not trying to get rid of the paintings and the plants. I'm trying to get rid of scuff, shoe scuffs on the floor and little bits of grime on the countertops. Some crayon marks on the wall. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to... That's what I think we need to get rid of. Things that are distracting from think? the real beauty. I So, so we're arguing... We're gonna, we're, I don't think we're going to reach an agreement here because... I don't think so either. Because I think that <laughs> what you're referring to are... these are This is the beauty. This is the plant element of it. And you're saying this is just the... Uh, this is the scuff marks. So you... you well, I don't think we're talking about the same words. I think if we had a concrete sentence and I crossed out the words that I think well, need to be crossed out. Do you have a out, sentence, James? Did you prepare? <sighs> maybe. Okay. How about this? I will, I'll go into the New York times after we record the show. I'll take the first article and I will go through and find a sentence that I think words should be. I don't from. think New York times is a good example because New York times tends to be more journalistic. It's, I, it's infrequent, but delightful when I come across an article in the New York times where there is personality in the article. Now I'm advocating for personality to 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 be infused in all writing. Even all right. business writing should have personality. Tell me, I whatever you could pick the sentence. We'll put it in the show notes. I'll cross out the words, and then we can. I don't think it's interesting for someone to listen to me look search the internet for a bad sentence and then say it out loud and then remove a word and say it again. So let's just put it in the show notes, and everyone can on their little uh, podcast listener can do the up swipe and see the show notes and scroll to the bottom and see the sentence, and then. You can insert your comments below. And you guys can now pause right now. Paused. <laughs> and go and read that. Um, what okay. if we're speaking while it's paused? It's live for us, but it's paused. <laughs> anyway. Um, also, I think it's worth mentioning, we, we're really only talking about nonfiction right now. I'm not going to comment on art for the sake of art, whatever. That's completely subjective. Whoever, Whatever the artist thinks is art is art. But hmm. personally, I find art for the sake of art terribly boring. Really? Usually. When it's not connected to the real world, it's just some like, I don't know, it's masturbation with a medium. What's an example of art for the sake of art? Because I think to some degree, I agree with you. But I need to understand exactly what you're referring to so that I can discern where I'm in favor of this and where I'm not. Um, free jazz. Mm, not familiar. Uh, it's kind Just of, people showing it's, off their... It's like amelodic. Um, there's no real a- arrhythmic. It's like, it kind of sounds like five musicians all soloing in different keys at the same time. Do you like dubstep? That is not like free jazz. But do you like dubstep? I do. My brother hates dubstep. He finds that to be more of an excretory function than an ejaculatory function. <laughs> that, <laughs> bringing it back. Um, bringing it back. <laughs> but whether or not you like something, dubstep is linked to dance music. It does sort of... No, it's Transformers mating. So the parts of... of <laughs> come on. <laughs> the, the parts of dubstep that are very erratic... Uh-huh. Z- 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 that's not very. That's not melodic. It's a very 
different sound. But it's it, rhythmic. Nah, it's gotten more rhythmic. Some of the early dubstep I heard that came to the United States uh-huh. was very much dissonant. Yeah. And it was, we weren't used to it, but here it was entertaining us. And then it went back to being more melodic. I don't think that dubstep is art for the sake of art. Okay. Dubstep isn't just taking something from art that's abstract and taking it to a logical extreme purely for the purpose of saying, like, my duty as an artist. I don't think dubstep DJs, people who make dubstep, were creating dubstep because they felt it was their duty as an artist to explore the medium. Well, I don't... (laughs) Oh, well... I mean, you do have people... So that you're like people ag- do listen and dance to dubstep. So what you're again and and usually just a seizure. So what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, love love it or hate it, it's not art for the sake of art. Now, what is it about art for the sake of art that that you're not a fan of? Because art for the sake of art eventually pushes boundaries, and then you come to a new medium of some sort through it. Well, that's so, the only part I'm interested in. So you don't like the intermediate stages. People dis- just like I don't want to read the first draft of someone's book. I don't want to hear the the art for the sake of art that has to come in between two mediums. Now you're just an elitist. Some people enjoy the middle process. For some, I mean, I have yeah, friends. The people that make it, let them enjoy. No, no, no. It. I have friends who very much enjoy an artist, so they listen to all the different variations of a certain song. They, they're they're enthralled by it. Okay. Whereas other people just want to hear the the radio ready version. If you care about the process, that's it's, it's a process that might be fascinating, especially for someone who is more art inclined themselves. They'll think, find that the art yeah, process. Yeah, that is that's puts the thing puts your finger right on it there. And I realize that metaphor is not apt, but <laughs> I think if you have to be an artist to appreciate a piece of art, it's art for the sake of art. It's like it doesn't. It's not pleasurable for a regular person. You have to. But I, I don't think I don't believe that you have to create something for the lowest common denominator. It's not the lowest common denominator. If it's the only part of it that's that you can really appreciate is the the creation. James portion. Joyce <laughs> is not somebody who can be appreciated by many people. You have to you have to take it takes patience, it takes skill, it takes a vocabulary, it takes a certain understanding of how to read and how to think to to appreciate Joyce. Okay. When I was younger, I read Joyce. I didn't like. It. I I tried to. I tried to. You know, maybe I feigned pseudo intellectuality, intellectualness, whatever. I, just, I feigned being a pseudo intellectual. So two two layers of 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 insincerity Fluff. there. Yeah. <laughs> read some of it. Couldn't make a, couldn't make heads or tails of it. I think I was in high school or something. Okay. Just didn't. But there are people who understand it, and I hope that they actually understand that because they want to say that they do. And where it's you know it's the book that is like the Piketty book that came out recently. It's the most abandoned book that people give up on. In programming circles, that's like I think that would be SICP, the structure and interpretation of SI computer programs. Mm-hmm. I think I don't know. We'll link that article in the show notes about the well, the the books that are most frequently abandoned. Apparently, thinking fast and slow is also up there. Well. I haven't abandoned it because I started it recently, but honestly, thinking fast and slow hits on so many things that I'm interested in that I don't think that I'll, I don't think I'm the person that is going to abandon it because I have the necessary context to like, oh, it's a, it's an, it's an enthralling book and it, I, I realize I discussed this, but I don't think the problem with thinking fast and slow, the abandonment rate is due to unclear writing. Oh, it's people because they don't understand it. Yeah. It's just not for them. So it's, but art for the sake of art is also not in, intended for people who are who can't understand something that's like that's not digested for them. It's not. 
a pop song is very much digested. You don't have to think very long and hard, especially nowadays. What rubs me the wrong way about <laughs> talking about idioms, about art for the sake of art, is that the only way to appreciate it is to become an artist of that medium. You can't appreciate like. It's like you've uh, uh, gone uh, meta. You're no longer making. You're no longer doing the art for the original reason. Now you're doing it just to show off to other people who well, did the same thing as so you. Wait, so there's that <laughs> the word you use. You're creating it for the other people who understand the in-depth concept. So somebody who I, ref- is, I know. Okay, so let's go to your James Joyce example. Mm-hmm. Is James Joyce an author that only other authors read and enjoy? Is that the group of people that it's for? Other authors. But what's to say that only authors? What's to say that all authors are created equal? Okay. So maybe some authors also can't understand them. I, well, I'm not saying some. I'm who, saying there if, are people who okay. you, you need to develop an appreciation. For, what about wine? Okay. There are people. Anybody who can drink wine. Sure. Some people appreciate it more because they haven't. They have a better understanding of what wine is. Right. I dislike. I abhor drinking wine. Okay. I think, I don't. I don't care to get to know how to, how to drink it. I just. It's not something. It's not an activity. Okay. That now let's appeals. talk about a wine that only other winemakers enjoy, which is com- which is perfectly fine because if you are capable of having this, and it's an echo chamber. Yes. It's the pretentiousness that bothers me. I, I don't. I, but I don't think it's pretentious. I think it's uh, if, if from the outside in. I mean, it's it's they don't care enough to think about you. They're thinking about themselves and what they're enjoying here. And you're looking at. You're like the. the you're the odd person out looking at them thinking i wonder how much you're thinking about no, no, me but it's not the odd person out it's the everybody out and only the pretentious in circle that actually think it's good but it's not that i'm not sure if it's a pretentious in circle i think it's just they happen to stick to, they happen to enjoy something that they that they and they just don't give a flying anything else about some about the people who, who don't who don't care for it okay so something that is like within both of our um domains sure i don't know something that we can both relate to equally I think that wine that only people who own vineyards can enjoy and music that only other musicians can enjoy and paintings that only other painters can enjoy is kind of like the live journal of art. It's like expecting people to read your personal journal. Which some people value. I mean, people read... I mean, Anise Nin's diary is remarkable. I haven't read all of it. Uh, But her insight... But that's like an accident. That's... You made it for yourself, but it happens to be accessible enough for other people to enjoy. But when other people don't enjoy it, I think it that is not something that I want to experience. Like I don't want to consume those types of things usually. And but there are as, people, who, but there result, people who do. I don't want to create that either. Why do I want to create something like that? That's like so I'm not gonna use the word pretentious again, but it's it's egotistical to create something that's only really for yourself, that only other people who are also in the creator mindset like you're almost like saying you know what i'm not even going to consider other people i'm making this for myself and fine do that but then don't distribute it but what's wrong with distributing stuff? so i remember there was a band in 2000 2011 i'm blanking who it was they released an album where you can i think you choose your own maybe they made 20 songs you get to choose how many you want to have a new one album you get to, you make your own cd okay so you kind of you know, uh, you know twenty pick twelve. I guess all I should really say is go ahead distribute it. I'm not going to consume anything if if it doesn't appeal to me. And I think when you do it that way, it's not going to appeal to anybody most of the time. So I'm not going to create things in that way. No, there's something to be said for writing, for creating something that you that is able to hook somebody in some way. Right, and Where, I think that using but, shorter words when possible, using 
stronger. Like, for instance, the rule about verbs instead of adverbs. Like, use verbs and like when you can to communicate something that something is actually happening. But so the, you could write in the active voice versus the passive voice. All these things. Right? Then you have the people who stand out so remarkably because they 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 write completely in their own voice, and it could be simple or it could be complicated. It could be a mixture of both, but it's a person's distinct voice, and that's what people always want to hear in a song, in in in, in a book, in a film, where someone they 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 take whatever convention might exist. Mm-hmm. They use it to what they need to do and disregard it when, they, when it doesn't fit them. That's, a, again, it's I don't a think person using who is, a shorter sentence instead of a long sentence necessarily makes it not in your I voice. I think it's exactly what this, with whatever For sentence example. the author wants to make, that's a sentence they're going to make. And if they're sufficiently in tune with their own voice and what they want to write, that'll be exactly how they want to say it. But just, okay, so often a long sentence, if you think a little bit, go back, read over it break it into two shorter sentences, it's clearer and stronger. It makes the point in a way which... But you're being, you're being very... Um, I'm not saying always. Util- you're being utilitarian here. Communica- than- but the utility, like if you write the sentence with the goal of communicating, like you're actually speaking to someone, if you want them to receive the message, then why not say the message in the way that is because the strongest the me- way? Because the strongest way isn't necessarily the you're t- you're taking it i'm going to say an optimized approach so it's not communication well, of any sort is a much slower path and it's inherently slow but we take it as we can make this faster and and this is when this is when the the, the biz versus dev part comes out as a programmer a lot of your element is figuring out a way how to write something with fewer lines of code to optimize something because sh- the reason for that is because it makes it easier for other programmers to read. You're still writing for some other human to read. It's also spent. You also spend less less time on it. You also can write. You there are also fewer places where things can break down. No, it, the easiest thing to do is do it in one pass, and don't work on it after that. As soon as it works, like as soon as it accomplishes the goal, done, commit. But what, in my opinion, good developers, <laughs> I don't want to say that it's definitely. Although I, because reading code takes so much more labor like mm-hmm. mental labor to get through i think other people are more in line with my thinking when it comes to code than to english although honestly i really think that people mostly agree with my thinking in english too but let's just talk about code the mental labor of reading more lines of code is exhausting and if you write code well usually that means writing it getting it working and then once it works trying to think of trying to think of how to simplify it, how to shorten it, how to but how to express it in the minimum amount of characters. Not really. It's because sometimes making it shorter makes it less clear. And that goes for English too. Sometimes if you shorten something, it's less clear. And in those cases, you need to be more verbose. But have you ever heard someone ramble on and on about something like we are about grammar and English right now? <laughs> it gets tiring after a while. Click. <laughs> End of podcast. <laughs> Right, but like once someone has communicated the message and they keep talking, you're like, "Why are you still talking?" Because they don't know they communicated, or maybe because if the other person thinks they, that the message has been relayed, the speaker still wants to input something else. So I mean, I feel like I'm saying you need to remove words, and you're assuming that the original sentence is the already shortest possible version that communicates. I'm in favor of revisions, but I'm, I'm against revisions for the sake of adhering to a certain. Um, I'm going to go back to this, a minimalist ideology for a sentence. 
I just I don't really think I'm advocating minimalism. I'm just advocating most people spit out way more words than they need to to say what they want. That's because the, they haven't that's because they haven't thought out what they want to say on the first pass. Exactly. And removing the words usually clarifies so again, the idea. So again, but I'm not I'm not against edit I'm not against I'm very much in favor of revising something because especially as you read through it again, the thoughts that you have so when you when you write you have the pre-thoughts, mm-hmm. the pre-written the pre-written thoughts. Then you start then you start gestating, then you write it down, then you focus, and when you when you take another pass at it, you realize actually the the thought I had, I realize now as I stop thinking about it, because I moved on to this next section, I can see how it plays together. Let me revise this section. I can see when you remove yourself from the from the nitty gritty of the words and you go into how does this entire structure work? Oh, I should move around this this sentence or mod these module sentences to make sure that this this meaning is clear and oftentimes you find that whole chunks of what you wrote don't actually add anything and you just remove them yes Uh, so i'm not i'm not in favor of never editing but i i think that you and i are disagreeing on the extent to which something should be edited well this is this part of the conversation we're at right now is why earlier today i said to you i think we mostly agree and the main thing we don't agree on is the words that we describe other words with. Yeah. Like I, the way that we talk about writing is the part we don't agree on. But the actual finished product, I think we would agree on. No, because there are things that I, I, I'm convinced that there are things that I am in favor of. Written-wise, like that's kind of, like with the, the the translated marks. I that think big blob that I pasted, and you thought that was the best written that it could be? I don't think it's the best written, but I think it should be appreciated for what it is. Because but that it, isn't what it is. That's an. It's a bad English translation of what it actually is. That could be, but um, I'm, I'm but that's what, what I was saying. It was but I wonder what the German was like. It could be. A, a good translation does not mean it's going to be completely and utterly succinct and clear. It's still going to retain some of the awkward sections of it. I don't think that if it if it's not awkward in German, then making it if it translates to awkward English, well, you I, should fix it. <laughs> Well, no, no, because you still have to. And this is, goes back to you still have to maintain the original, t- the the essence of the time in which it was created initially. Okay, but you can since it's a translation. Mm-hmm. The duty of the translator isn't just to look up each word in the German sentence and translate that word to its English equivalent. The duty of the translator is to convert the meaning of the German sentence to an equivalent meaning English sentence. When was the book translated? Maybe back then that's when it made sense to have it stuffy. That, that if you want to call it stuffy, that's stuffy. Uh, I don't know because I don't have it in front of me and I can't look. But all right, so let me. I have two things from on writing well. Two like short one sentence, two sentence, <laughs> little bits. So one, eliminate every such fact that is a known attribute. Don't tell us that the sea has waves and the sand was white. Find details that are significant. Okay. Okay. Unless you want to describe the waves in a certain way that it's poetic. Well, not talking about describing waves, talking about the sea. Don't describe the we. The, don't describe the sea as having waves. The sea always has waves. Everyone already knows, right? Unless it's a very placid sea that day, unusually placid, or if it's a very... Right. Well, a sea with no waves is worth mentioning. A sea with waves, you don't need to say that the sea has waves. I think I'm just being contrarian here, or maybe I'm missing the point. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that exactly. sounds obvious. The whole idea here is omit everything which is a known attribute you don't need to mention the known attributes you're just blabbing on. unless your mentioning of it is an intentional but subtle emphasis okay but a whole book full of that 
eventually you're just like, all right, this is boring. Okay. Okay. So here's the next one. And this, I think, pretty much sums up what I like about the book. Actually, a simple style is the result of hard work and hard thinking. A muddled style reflects a muddled thinker or a person too arrogant or too dumb or too lazy to organize their thoughts. Okay. So, devil's advocate, what if the intention of the writer is to come across as having muddled thoughts? Because... Well, I suppose that's fine, but I just won't read it. When you want to have something that's a little bit more, I guess, argumentative... Then you need to ramble? A book puts you in a mood. And I mean, I'm not sure if it's fiction or nonfiction, but if, especially if you have a narrator. So if, once you have a narrator, and, and that, I think, I think you, with a narrator, you, get, you can get away. Well, these, this is why I said I'm not going to talk about fiction. Yeah. Because nonfiction. The goal in fiction is there, there's kind of not really a goal. The goal is entertainment, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But even most fiction writers, I don't know if they would all agree that the goal is entertainment. Like, the goal is nebulous with fiction, but the goal with nonfiction is pretty clear. You're just trying to communicate ideas right? in a way that people will continue reading from one sentence to the next. Uh, okay. Well, I will link on writing well again in the show notes, and I will also link in the show notes the, um, the George Orwell piece, which has held up remarkably well for something that's almost 70 years old. Until <laughs> next time. Um, okay. We're going kind of long. But I want to talk at least a little bit, because we've been putting it off for almost a month, about the app that I'm making with Swift. Especially since I promised our listeners earlier in the show that we would. Okay. Floor is yours. So, um, I guess the premise is I'm going to make a list app because that's what everyone does for their first app, and I don't know anything. So, <laughs> that's where I'll start. Well, so I, I know thought- that I know nothing. Right. So it's kind of like when you're learning Rails, you're like, well, what the hell? I'll make a blog, I suppose. <laughs> and uh, so out of all the list-making apps, a to-do list is boring. So I skipped that and went straight to the grocery list, which is kind of like a to-do list. But at least since it's focused, but you're you can, doing it. you can optimize for something, right? You can at least make it more more focused on grocery shopping than just a general to-do list. So my wife and I, we use the regular iOS built-in reminders app for our grocery list so the first criteria was it needs to hook into that it needs to pull in all my history from there at least right and then the second thing was well what do i do every week when i go get groceries usually i buy the same old things right like for the most part each week you go to the grocery store and you buy the same food or you cycle through different weeks and you you stagger purchases whatever like if you eat yogurt a couple days a week you tend to buy yogurt each time you go to the grocery store if you i mean do you eat yogurt you Maybe you don't do dairy, but yogurt doesn't really have that much. Can't do dairy. Can't do yogurt, which okay. sucks. Well, I tried. Anyway, so like things that are on my anyway. So there's the things that most people buy every week. Like, what do you? What's the thing that you eat almost every day? Almond milk. Almond milk. So every time you go to the grocery store, pretty much you buy almond milk. I I stagger my purchases. Yeah, I'm not the best example here because okay. Well, granted, whether you stagger your purchases or not. If we took the full list of everything you bought in the past year and just counted each t- the amount of times you bought each one of the, those items, almond milk would probably be under the top. Yeah, like you probably bought almond milk more times than you bought most things. Yeah. So, I this is the main thing <laughs> that mm. the app actually does. When you 
do something, you you add it to your list, then you check it off. It remembers that you checked it off. And then when you go to add another thing, there's a list of all the things that you bought before and they're sorted the things you buy most often up to the top. So you don't have to always type them. <laughs> and I haven't got this next part working, but I think maybe I'll have some kind of decay. Like when you first buy something, like if you bought something yesterday, it mm -hmm. doesn't sort to the top, but I'm not exactly sure the best way to do that yet. But you have to do make it unit specific. If it's an egg, if it's eggs, you, I well, mean, I don't I, think you need units because I think the decay would work based on how, how often you add it again. So it'd be, it'd be a learning. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Method. That, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Like maybe after you've added something three times, then from then on, it uses the average time between purchases as like a, a slope for mm -hmm. like, for which the first 15 or 20% of it, it doesn't show it in that list anymore, or it just sorts it closer to the bottom. It's complex predictive analytics. Well, that's the idea. Apply some machine learning, mm -hmm. let, the, let the machine do some of your thinking for you, or at least save you some keystrokes. I mean, typing on a phone is not fun. Which is, uh, yeah, it's terrible. It's like no one texts. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's why the predictive keyboard that's shipping in iOS 8 is so exciting. You type two letters and it plops the three most likely words and it uses Markov chains, which I don't know if you know what that is, but I use them for my research class. Markov chains are badass, especially for language. So if you say, I'm going to have myself a peanut butter and the most likely next word that you are going to say is Almond jelly. Almond butter and honey. <laughs> Take that, iOS 8. But it's going to say jelly and you're going to be like, wrong. well, yeah, of course I'm having peanut butter and jelly. And if it's wrong, whatever you type... N, and then it goes, oh, not jelly, Nutella. <laughs> and it fills that instead. I don't touch that nonsense. <laughs> anyway. Almond butter and honey, guys. Almond butter, honey, and cinnamon. It's going to blow your world. The point is, you're going to type peanut butter and H, and then honey will pop up, and you don't have to type O-N-E-Y. Because you use Markov chains, and it it's like partial, like whatever you've typed so far, it narrows down the search. But what's going to end up happening is people are still going to start, it's going to take a long time for people to, start ty to stop typing. Because they're used to typing the whole thing out. Right. It's very fast. Even in the simulator, it's very fast. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this, but whatever. I mean, it might be still under NDA. The OS hasn't released, but they showed it. Whatever. They showed it. I mean, we're now, I mean I've had Swipe for the past... No, it's way better than Swipe. Fanboy. It's better because you you don't have to do the whole word. I, I don't feel as if I do the whole word. And also, it's, it's very good at predicting. So often before you type even the first letter, the word you mean to say but again, is already there. But again, this changes how people actually use a device. We're not used to typing starts we're not used to typing something and then looking up to get the predictive to see what it predicts next we're used to typing and typing it out well it appears right on the keyboard even then i mean you, there are people who i've seen them type something out in a browser uh-huh and it pops up and they're still typing it out or in google search they're still typing it out because they're just they're not used to in this this process well that's the beauty of this kind of thing it works equally well if you just ignore it it works as well as it always has if you ignore it yeah and for those of us who don't just ignore everything happening on our screen while we're typing. You get a nice benefit. You can just tap the word instead of typing, them, especially with long words. I mean, what, I don't see a downside for if you ignore it. The keyboard doesn't change. That, no, that's true. I, I, I mean, I, I just want to see... How, this isn't a bad thing. I mean, it, although getting people to type less is, is, I think, will affect spelling. There's nothing that's more heart attack-inducing or anxiety-inducing, really, than swiping your word in and doesn't have the word. So you think, am I spelling it wrong, or is my swipe just not intelligent? 
Well, this is not like swipe at all. You type on a regular keyboard. Wait, this isn't for your phone? This is for the computer? This is for your phone. iOS doesn't have swipe, although it will after iOS 8 because they have custom keyboards. But I'm not yeah. talking about custom keyboards. I'm talking about the plain old keyboard where you press one button at a time. You haven't done that in a very... Although, if, though I still every now and then type out the, the full word because... So I have predictive text and swipe. Mm-hmm. So I can start typing out the word and I can choose, but I, it's, it's so rare that I... Well, when the actions you're doing anyway are tap, 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 mm-hmm. just having the next tap be in a different part of the screen is much easier on your sort of like muscle memory than going from swiping all around to lifting your finger and then tapping something, right? It feels more natural to tap one more time after 20 taps than to do swipe, 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 stop, tap, right? No, that feels natural to me. It, not as natural as one more tap after a sequence of 20 taps in a row. Well, I know I've adjusted so much, even though there's still times where I, I type instead of, I, I tap, tap, tap instead of swipe. Eh, I don't know. The point is, it's an improvement. It's an improvement for iOS, which never had swipe. Uh, yeah, you guys are getting a six-inch phone and swipe after eight. No, not versions. swipe. First of all, I really don't like swipe. <laughs> Many people do. That's fine. I had swipe for a while on my LG, whatever it was. I, what I want to see is after this comes out, I think swipe is the program that helped somebody beat the Guinness World Record or set the Guinness World Record records or fastest texting typed. Okay. I wonder how this. If wonder if this is actually going to be faster than that based, and if there will be a new winner based on that, then we'll come out after that. So I, there's somebody who has some recommended Swift keyboard, which I find to be infuriating, which is very much predictive. But I didn't like the way the format for it worked. I feel like swipe is for mobile what the Dvorak keyboard is for desktops. It's like yes, you can you can increase your potential maximum speed. But the learning curve is not worth it for most people. What's the what's that keyboard? Dvorak. It's just like someone said. Okay, so the uh, supposedly the QWERTY keyboard layout oh, was yeah. designed because it the, kept the characters from jamming on the old typewriters. So Dvorak is like, okay, we're in the digital age. This is the optimal layout of keys. So the letters you type the most are already in the home row and stuff. There is and like so people. The Dvorak keyboard has the highest, I think, still Guinness Book World Record number of like words per minute mm-hmm. but nobody's it's, switching to it because it's the learning curve is not worth it unless you start with it which no one does well give it to a, give it to a preschool and see what happens but that's the point all the computers that are made are qwerty and it's not worth it for anyone to go out of their way and it's like even if it's not worth teaching yourself to work even if you type all day because then every computer you go up to everywhere else in the world except for on your own desk is foreign which is Unless, well, think about how when people learn different languages, you uh-huh. just—it's just a different language. I mean, there's when you type in Russian, you have to use sort of the keyboard, uh-huh. so, which see, there's a different like, key layout you have to learn. It's the same thing. Okay. As well, long as you dedicate yourself to do it, then you you have ways of writing faster. Then. There are literally hundreds of millions of QWERTY keyboards out there already, and uh, I think it's a little late to. First of all, it's not even that big of an improvement. There are I think hundreds it's... of millions of of, of gas-powered cars, and Elon Musk would take over. No, that's screw different oil. because it doesn't screw with your muscle memory. Sure it does. Gas pedal. Oh, wait. My, I'm not doing anything. What do I do? When my dad first came to America. I don't think that's the same as keyboards, whereas all of a sudden you actually can't make it work for like two months. There are three pedals. Well, back when my dad drove a car in Russia, he had three pedals in his car. Yep. So when he came here, he was like, where's the third pedal? But Because he was used to the muscle memory of yep. driving. Mm-hmm. The thing is, did it take him two months before he could 
control a car with equal dexterity. Took him a while. In fact, he he got a speeding ticket because he wasn't used to how strong American cars are. He wasn't used to going. This is he wasn't used to how fast he could type or drive. Really, that that reminds me of that. Mavis. Sorry, officer, I was typing much faster than I thought. <laughs> that reminds me of that Mavis Beacon <laughs> touch typing game where you're. I think you're racing it, typing the words to get ahead yep. of somebody else. Good times. Oh, Mavis. So I have some questions. Number one, how do I recruit beta testers? Product hunt and beta list and um, all the beta test sites that I can link in the show notes. Okay, question two. This is probably a terrible question for you because you don't buy apps. But (laughs) if I invest the time to actually make this a polished product, how much could I conceivably... Actually, no, forget. It would be a free app, but maybe possibly... Some kind of in-app purchase? I don't know. Like some kind of super user features to, <laughs> for a grocery list. <laughs> Trying to think of what kinds of things would people not want right away, but after a while they would they would be willing to spend 99 cents to get. I guess I should do some competitive research. What do yes. the other grocery lists do? thing is I find them all so infuriating to begin with. If your grocery list is so superior in terms of intuitive ple- intuitive experience and design. But I can't charge for those parts because I have to make those available from the get-go in order for people to know that it's better. Unless you get people to review it and have it get featured in Lifehacker like, oh, this is the best thing ever. Like SwiftKey, people paid for it. True. Because people liked it. And it spread. Because like, oh, holy crap, this is better than anything else in the market. Wait, did you pay for SwiftKey? Uh, I don't have SwiftKey. I have Swift. Swift came on my phone because of Sprint. Uh, Samsung. Okay. Swing. <laughs> so yes, you did pay for it. Yeah, I paid. <laughs> I paid. For, I paid a whopping 160 bucks to get it. That's something that has always frustrated me: how people talk about some smartphones as expensive and some as cheap, whereas the actual price differences is only like a hundred dollar range from 600 to 700 dollars, and they're kind of all right there. Like a $150 phone is only $50 cheaper than a $200 phone. And that's really a $650 and a $700 phone. Yes. Which is like hardly any difference at all. Except it's still $600. Those are the perceived value of how much is a phone really worth. So back in the day, I remember phones came out like with the HEC Touch and the Touch Pro and Touch Pro 2. You had phones come out for $250, $300. Yep. Now the new thing is, oh, $200. That's the standard price. Yeah. And it's going down to $150, $150, $200. Depending on how Only high for Samsung, end. but yeah. Depending on how yeah, depending on how high end the well, definitely not for Apple, but depending on how, depending on how high end the phone is supposed to right. be. But I, I realize that it's something that hasn't been touched on um, in terms of phones. We've kind of entered the the realm of functional phones, like where phones they don't disrupt. I mean, if you look at the Galaxy S two, it was kind of an awkward, clunky phone. It wouldn't necessarily work. You had phones who just that just didn't work. Yep. We are past that stage now, yes. which is remarkable. Absolutely, we We're are. F- so, hooray, guys. We, we all made it. We are, we are survivors. Soul survivor. <laughs> I've clearly I'm lost I'm a survivor. It. I can... <laughs> That'll be our outro this time. Yeah? Good. Yeah, I'm a survivor. I know.